Good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for coming. We will continue to read from Srila Jiva Goswami's Krishna Sandarbha, 29th Anucheda. Um, we're coming to the end of the 29th Anucheda. All of this evidence presented up to this point by Sri Jiva Goswami is in support of the uh, Parivas Sutra of the Srimad Bhagavatam. Iti Chamsa Kalapumsa Krishnastu Bhagavan Swayam Indrani Vyakulam Lokam Ridayanti Yuge Yuge This verse coming at the end of the third chapter of the first canto of the Bhagavatam wherein Sutta Goswami gave a, a synopsis of some of the manifestations of the Supreme Lord who advented to the material world. And of all those different avataric descents, after listing them all, and he, he makes this statement that all these are manifestations of Swayam Bhagavan, Lord Sri Krishna. So we left off in the last discussion with a detailed explanation from Srila Jiva Goswami of different statements in the context of leelas presented in the Bhagavat Purana and other Puranas and the Bhag, uh, Mahabharata, which may lead one away from the idea that Krishna is the supreme manifestation of the Lord and statements that one could interpret to signify that Krishna's avataric descent is uh, one that is the same as the other avatars. Uh, he's equivalent to the other avatars. And he's coming through the agency of the Purusha manifestations of the Supreme Lord. So it's understood that all the different avatars come through the agency of the Purusha avatar, specifically Mahavishnu. But included within Mahavishnu are the other Purushas, Garbhodakshai Vishnu and Kashira Dakshai Vishnu. So the verse that was discussed coming into this subpart of the 29th Anucheda was from the Garuda Purana and it read as follows. I offer obeisances to the cosmic law of karma, which like a potter restrained Brahma within the pot in the form of the universe which cast Lord Vishnu into great tribulation by impelling him to accept him avatars, which made Rudra go begging with a skull in his hand, and by the power of which the sun rotates perpetually in the sky. So we've already discussed the fact that this particular statement is basically in glorification of the the powerful influence that karma has over what transpires within the material world. And Jiva now further uh, explains this verse and puts it into the context of showing it in relationship to statements from the Bhagavat Purana that directly refute that, this statement, as far as 
what one would, a way that one could interpret the statement, meaning that, you know, Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva are all under the influence of karma. Uh, and he uses this very last portion of this 29th Anucheta to show the glory of the Bhagavat Purana, that it shines supreme in relationship to all the other scripture. So he writes, moreover, the latter statement, the latter statement he's referring to here is this is the statement we just read uh, regarding Vishnu's being impelled to accept, accept 10 avatars. So, moreover, the latter statement is deceptive in nature because it promotes karma's insurmountability by employing words like matcha and korma, which apply equally to a fish and a tortoise, respectively, and to the avatars of Vishnu, such as Machadev and Kormadev. The following verse provides an example of such deceptive usage. So Jeeva is saying this verse is it's deceptive in its nature. It, it's leading you to the wrong conclusion. It's taking you in the wrong direction. It's taking you to a conclusion which would make Vishnu subordinate to the laws of material nature that would make Vishnu subordinate to uh, karmic influence. So he says this statement is deceptive. And I'll give you an, another example of such a deceptive statement. It's an example of another deceptive usage. And then he quotes the following verse. Alas, who can describe the evil of gold? Dusturu. I'm sorry. Distura. The evil? Evil of gold. Dustura. The poisonous fruit of the Dustura plant is intoxicating simply because it bears the same name as gold. So here's a statement that this plant is poisonous because the name of the plant is the same name that's sometimes used in referring to gold. And therefore, because gold is the ultimate down, can become one's ultimate downfall, therefore the plant is poisonous because it has the same name. Good, ones, good luck selling that one to the scientific community, which would say the plant is poisonous because it contains poison, not because it has a name that's equivalent to gold. And you're making a, a, an analogy to the fact that, you know, gold is bad overall because it can bring, bring to the downfall of a man who becomes completely smitten with it in his life. He only lives for gold. Uh, Comfortable living, Hiranyakasipu, gold, comfortable bed. So, 
And Jiva continues. Furthermore, because the Skanda Purana is a text that promotes the supremacy of Shiva, it is without utility in regard to the present topic. Kesha avatars. Present topic is the Kesha avatar. The fact that we have two avatars, Krishna and Balaram, that descended at the request of the demigods through the agency of Vishnu or through the appeal of Vishnu as we heard in the prior points that Jiva's made that these two avatars they're already scheduled to come it just happened that Bhumi was making a prayer at the same time but Vishnu said uh, I'm I'm just giving you some indication that they're coming, that actually I'm subordinate to them and that I bow my head. And then, we, then we'll come on to Jiva's going to further unpack other meanings when it comes to this kesha, this term kesha, which can mean hair, but it has other meanings. So now... Jiva's going on. And this this is this is not unique. That there are different scriptures provided for different people in different under the influence of the different modes of material nature. All the scriptures are not the same. And what they say is is not is is not equal. And then he's giving an example, like Shiva's scripture, the Skanda Purana. So the Skanda Purana promotes Lord Shiva as the as the topmost worshipable object. It is with that, it, so the is a text that promotes the supremacy of Shiva. It is without utility in regards to the present topic, Kesha Avatar, being antagonistic to the Vaishnav conclusions. The Purana itself is antagonistic to Vaishnavism. Thus, in the Skanda Purana itself, Jiva points out, Lord Shiva informs his son, Kartikeya. And then there's a quote from the Skanda Purana from Shiva. Even within the Shiva scriptures, only those statements are acceptable that are in accordance with the sacred texts related to Bhagavan. So Jiva is saying, even in the scripture that glorifies me, none of the texts are, are of any value, real value. He's telling this to his son, unless they're texts that relate the significance of Bhagavan. Those are, the, those are the important texts in, in my scripture. The others, not so much. This too is certainly appropriate because it, the Skanda Purana, is without independent authority in this matter, having an ulterior motive as expressed in the Bhagavad. And then he quotes a, a verse from the Bhagavatam. 
Muddy water cannot be clarified by the addition of mud. So he's, Jiva Goswami saying, you're muddying the waters of who's the supreme personality in the Skanda Purana by putting Shiva forth as the topmost personality. Well, basically they worship him as the supreme, don't they? The Shivite. So what good are statements from the Skanda Purana that simply mutter, muddy the already muddied waters of such a misconception? Jiva Goswami continues. According to the Uttarakhanda of the Padma Purana, the Puranas that establish the supremacy of Shiva employ the perspective born of Thomas. In the Matya Purana also, they are said to consist of stories assimilated to Thomas, Thomas being the mode of ignorance, Tamagund. And it was appropriate for the senior sutta Senior Sutta would be the older of the two suttas, Romaharshan Sutta. Jiva writes, and it was appropriate for the senior Sutta, the speaker of the Skanda Purana, who did not study Srimad Bhagavatam, to make such statements as the Skanda Purana put forth that Shiva was supreme, because he didn't know everything yet. He wasn't fully versed in the Bhagavat Purana, so that he had the best viewpoint. Because, as we learned earlier from Jiva Goswami, he made it abundantly clear in the Tattva Sandarbha that the Bhagavat Purana shines supreme over all the other Puranic texts. Well, actually, it shines supreme over everything, according to our Vaishnav viewpoint. So Sutta Goswami had not studied the Srimad Bhagavat and who, and who disrespected Sri Balaram to utter such statements born out of imperfect knowledge of the truth of Sri Bhagavan. As is said, and then Jiva quotes another verse from the Srimad Bhagavatam's 77th chapter, 10th canto, such is the account some sages put forth, O wise king, but those who speak in this illogical manner contradict themselves. They're sages. They're supposed to give you the topmost knowledge, the topmost understanding. And here they are putting out scriptures, repeating scriptures that glorify somebody who's not supreme as, this, as the absolute supreme. So, not very good thing. They contradict themselves. By such an assertion from Srimad Bhagavatam, Jiva writes now, statements to the contrary from other Puranas, Puranas are superseded. This is to be understood in the same manner as the overruling of one injunction by another in the ritual portion of the Vedas, such as the statement, we shall drink Soma and become immortal. He's used this example before, hasn't he? We shall drink Soma and become immortal. You can become 
long lived? Surely by drinking Somaros, the fruit of a sacrifice. So the, the, soma, the soma is is blessed during a sacrifice and it gives you, well, it certainly gives you a feeling of immortality. You feel like you're going to live forever. It's the nectar of the gods, Somaros. I mean, we may have big, huge uh, wine departments at every, you know, grocery store here. <laughs> I mean, it's like one third or one quarter of the store now, you know, de devoted to wines. But none of those wines can do what Somaros can do for you. Somaros gives you a sense that you're going to live forever. And it's the nectar of the gods. And they feel like they're going to live forever. That statement, that scriptural statement, however, that it makes you immortal, it's just an indicator of the fact that it gives you long life. But it, nobody gets out of here alive, including the demigods who drink Somaros. So such a statement doesn't override scriptural conclusions that are there in the Veda. It, it doesn't carry that much import. So this whole section here is bringing us to these kinds of an understanding that these other Puranic statements, other Purana statements that seem to contradict the Pariva Sutra, statements that seem to contradict the underlying message of the Bhagavat Purana, the Srimad Bhagavatam, have to be seen in the light of the Bhagavat Purana. They don't override in any way what we get from the Bhagavat Purana, from the Srimad Bhagavatam. And even the statements within the Srimad Bhagavatam itself have to be seen in the light of the Pariva Sutra. Krishna Stu Bhagavan Swayam. Jiva continues, Just as in this world the objects acquired through diligent effort, karma, are subject to decay, so also in the next world, i.e. heaven, the results acquired through virtue will also wither away. So this is a statement from the Chandogya Upanishad that carries more evidentiary weight than the statement that Jiva just quoted from the Rig Veda. We drink Soma and become immortal. Then the question is, how do we, as spiritual seekers, arrive at the proper conclusion. If we simply just dive into all the Vedic knowledge without proper guidance, then where, where can you end up? You could end up a worshiper of Lord Shiva. If, if you came to the Skanda Purana and read it, you, would, you could walk away from it even though within the Skanda Purana, Shiva makes this one statement, 
there's an abundance of other statements that contradict what Shiva said to his son in the Skanda Purana. An abundance of statements that say Shiva is the supreme personality. What, what, what's, what's the person to do? Where do we go for light? How do we approach the scripture? How do we know what's appropriate? How do we know how to interpret scripture? The proper hermeneutic approach. How do we know? There's so many interpretations. Is it literal? Is it figurative? Did God actually made the heavens and the earth in seven days? God said, let there be light. We come to situations in our dealings in society, problem, right? Hermeneutics. How do we interpret scripture? How do we know which scriptures for us? How fortunate we are. How greatly fortunate you are if you come in touch with the, the topmost current. But we have to be vigilant. We have to be determined to, to continually mine the topmost gems of spiritual understanding, that we don't become complacent that we can, our studies are, are perpetual. It's like, I got it down. Brahma's the creator of the universe. He thought he had it down. Where'd, that end, where'd he end up? Making a fool of himself. When he actually came to, the, to Krishna, in Krishna's Leela, he, just, he basically made a fool of himself. I thought I knew you what he said I thought I thought I knew I know nothing if we can keep that attitude then we can always always progress if we know we know nothing that leaves a lot for us to learn and if Brahma who created this material universe that we're in right now admits himself a fool before Krishna Where's that put us? So these kind of, this kind of uh, boiling of the milk that we're going through here with Jiva is, is significant. So this, this statement from the Chandogya Upanishad, Jiva is saying, is more significant than the other statement that Soma makes you immortal. But we need a jiva to tell us this. We need, we need a proper sampradaya, which is putting forth an understanding which nurtures our, a conception of the supreme absolute truth that avails us of the topmost understanding. Jiva continues, here also the logic quoted above is seen to be applicable. But those who speak 
in this illogical manner contradict themselves, having forgotten their own prior statements. So now Jiva's quoted this same verse from the Bhagavatam twice. And he goes on. Which verse did he quote from? The verse from the Bhagavatam. But those who speak in this illogical manner, oh. okay, contradict themselves, okay. having forgotten their own prior statements. Therefore, what the senior sutta expressed in that regard in Skanda Purana concerning Krishna being the Kesha avatar of Vishnu. Okay, so now he's going back to the main subject of, of Krishna's avataric descent as put forth in the Skanda Purana, which was spoken by the senior, the older Sutta Goswami. And the way that Sutta presented it was that Krishna and Balaram, they're coming from Aniruddha or Vishnu, Kashiro Dakshai Vishnu, in his own little island, surrounded by the ocean of milk. Can I ask a question? Sure. I mean, my understanding was that when Bhumi and Brahma went to the shore of the milk ocean to ask Vishnu um, what to do, mm -hmm. that Brahma didn't see Vishnu, that Vishnu just imparted the um, answer to his, his inquiry mm -hmm. through his heart. Okay. But it seemed like you read before that he saw Yeah, we're reading now from a statement from the Skanda Purana. Oh, so it's in the Skanda Purana. It's also, the same Leela is presented there. And it's presented, I'm sure it's presented in other, you know, the advent of, of Lord Krishna and Balaram is is, right. is a well-known advent. That's what Jiva's quoting now okay. in this particular place. So... It may vary from what's presented in the Bhagavat Purana. And also, what we have, also to put things in perspective here so there's no misunderstanding on our part, we're, we're reading and being presented with a vision of Krishna's descent through the Bhagavat Purana as given to us through the Gaudiya Sampradaya. So, if the Gaudiya's <clears throat> conclusion from their reading of the Bhagavat Purana is that it, the message was transmitted simply through a meditation as far as their understanding of the verses, that may not be accepted by okay. all Vaishnavas. So again, we're, we're now studying uh, mm. under the Tulish by reading Jiva Goswami, of it widens our vision a little bit. It's you know we have we've been given a certain viewpoint, but there's other viewpoints out there, and even the viewpoints we have, 
we can see one acharya may contradict another. One acharya may contradict himself when presenting the same thing to a different student under a different scenario of time, place, and circumstance. So what's important here, the detail or the message? And we have to come to an understanding that the, the Leela is a carrier of tattva. It's also a carrier of rasa. So the Bhagavad speaks to us as a king to his subjects, as a friend to a friend, and as a lover. So the Bhagavad Purana is speaking to us in different ways. And what's more important is, is the, the message being conveyed, not the detail, well, I heard that Brahma got it for the sky message or internally he saw it in his heart. And here you're saying that Krishna saw Brahma? Well, that's not what I know. That's not the way I know. Do we care? I mean, what do we care about? The message that was received by Brahma, that Krishna and Balaram were going to advent and relieve the burden of the earth? Or do we want to argue about, well, in the Skanda Purana it says this, and in that it says this, but here that, and this Acharya said it this way, and that Acharya said it that way. So we we have to again we're 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 coming to another by studying jiva goswami the the what's really of the essence and that's what a sandarbha is it's the essence of the bhagavat purana he's bringing the essence of the leela to our attention more than the detail the detail is secondary it's a carrier and here also, I mean, we see, you know, you even take Ramaharshan Sutta, a great sage, sitting down, speaking all the Puranas, but he doesn't have the depth of knowledge that allows him to see beyond and give a more appropriate purport to the leader that he's conveying in his discourse He's not giving the topmost understanding from our perspective. And Jiva's saying he's not doing that because he's not fully schooled in the Bhagavat Purana. In fact, he was so unschooled that he offended Balaram himself. And his son had to take over for him. In, And then we have the Bhagavat Purana. Therefore, what... The senior sutta expressed in that regard in Skanda Purana concerning Krishna being the Kesha, Kesha avatar of Vishnu was merely his own doubt pertaining to Bhagavan's inconceivable nature. Such logical uncertainty being indicated in statements such as, and then Jiva quotes from the Mahabharata, one should not strive through reason alone to apprehend the transrational. That's from the Bhishva, Parva of the Mahabharata. Moreover, 
Jiva continues, in the latter part of the same book, Skanda Purana, in the account of the removal of the moon stigma within the context of Krishna's avataric appearance, it is stated that Vishnu himself, and not Vishnu's strand of black hair, appeared as Krishna, which contradicts its own prior version. Therefore, the import of the story is not that Krishna is an avatar of Vishnu's hair, Kesha avatar, nor does the word Kesha mean hair in that context. It is either a misleading statement or an utterance made out of ignorance of the ontological truth regarding Bhagavan. So Jiva's pointing out the fake news <laughs> that one can get from... <clears throat> other Puranic statements where one doesn't know what the truth is and accepts illusions as realities. In light of the above, we can now examine the meaning of the words of the relevant verses of the Vishnu Purana and other Puranas as follows. From the verse of Mahabharat cited in Sankaracharya's commentary on Sahasranama, the word Kesha means a ray, Amsa. Amsu. Now Jiva's saying, okay, now let's 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 back up and let's let's fill in the blanks here so we know really what's being said in these verses regarding the advent of Krishna and Balaram. Well, if we look to the commentary of Sankaracharya when in, in, in citing a verse from the Mahabharata, he says that Kesha means a ray, Amsu, not a hair, mm. a ray. Now let's look at the verse and look at this word Keshu, Kesha as a ray. And then he quotes the verse from the Mahabharata. O best of sages, because my rays, which shine brilliantly, are called Kesha, the all-knowing one, ones call me Keshava. Jiva goes on. <clears throat> Throughout the Vishnu Purana and other Puranas, no word other than Kesha has been used in reference to Krishna's avataric descent. That's an interesting comment. In the Vishnu Purana and other Puranas, Krishna's avataric, it's, uh, avataric descent has always been referred to as Kesha. Additionally, it is well known from the Moksha Dharma that Sri Narada witnessed light rays of various colors emanating from Bhagavan. From this, it is evident that the word Kesha signifies a ray of light, and these two rays, black and white, were indi indi indicative of the avatars of Vasudeva and Sankarshan. It is thus to be concluded that these two rays belonged exclusively to them. Although belonging to them, their manifestation in Aniruddha, the Purusha who exhibited them to Brahma, is certainly fitting 
because the effulgence of the avatar is encompassed within the effulgence of the avatari. In this manner, what is stated in the first canto, that Shiva is an avatar of the Purusha called Aniruddha, is in harmony with that, with what is said in the fifth canto, that Shiva is an avatar of Sankarshan. So we've kind of touched on this before, that one, if an avatar is coming from another avatar, from another avatar, you could, if you say that Shiva's coming from Sankarshan, and you know that basically Aniruddha is a manifestation of Sankarshan, then whichever way you look at Shiva as coming from Aniruddha as for, or as coming from Sankarshan, it's okay because one of them is coming from the other. Although belonging to them, their manifestation in Aniruddha is certainly fitting. Thereafter, the meaning of the verse, Ujjaharat Manaha Keshal, he uprooted two of his hairs, Vishnu Purana, is as follows. The verb Ujjahara, uprooted, is used in the sense of uplifted. This means that he displayed these two rays of light. So now we don't even have that he pulled hairs. Now he displayed rays of light. Mahavishnu displayed rays of light as indicators of the colors of the next two avataric descents of the Supreme, being white and black in color, Balaram and Krishna respectively, which were amsas of Sri Vasudev and Sankarshan, having manifested them from himself. Here it is to be understood that even by displaying just these two rays of light, merely a part of the whole, he didn't display the whole rainbow, just two rays of light. What is indicated is the manifestation of the complete whole itself. Just as when on seeing a part of Sumeru Mountain, one may say this is Sumeru, referring to the mountain as a whole. So we can't see to the top of Mount Sumeru. Or you can't see the whole ocean. But if I point and say there's the ocean, you get my meaning. I mean the ocean. So there's a bit more here. And we will continue from here when we take up the next reading. Thank you so much for your association.